Paul's letter to the Philippians. You have an outline in your bulletins. However, I have been trying to learn for now ever since I entered into the ministry what my wife told me about six months into my ministry that I don't have to tell everybody everything, every sermon, and to um, to realize that I have um, weeks ahead of me to... to uh, to do that, to spread it out, and so I cut my sermon in half. What does that mean for the time? It means absolutely nothing. And I'm sure it will be just as long as it otherwise would have been. It normally is, however, not as long as it would have been. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we believe that the Scriptures are the inerrant, the inspired, the authoritative word of the true and living God. Please give your utmost attention to it. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, it is my prayer that our congregation, we as a body, that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And to that end, I pray that You would pour out Your Spirit and teach us as we have read Your Word and now hear it proclaimed. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a story. It's one of my favorites that I have have uh, heard, I may have even used it before, it's a story uh, that John MacArthur told. Uh, The the story goes like this. A man had wanted to go on a cruise uh, all of his life. As a youngster, he had seen an advertisement for a luxurious cruise. And ever since, he had dreamed of spending a week uh, out on on the ocean on a large... Um, on a large ocean liner enjoying the fresh air and relaxing in a luxurious environment. And so he saved his money. For years and years, this poor man saved his money, carefully counting his pennies, often sacrificing personal needs uh, in order that he might stretch his resources just a little further. Finally, He earned enough money and has saved enough money to purchase a cruise ticket. So he went to the travel agent. He looked over all the brochures for all the cruises. He picked out one that was especially attractive. And he bought a ticket with the money that he had saved so long. He was hardly able to believe 
that his childhood dream was about to come true. Knowing that he could not afford the, the food that he saw pictured in the brochure, he made a plan. He um, decided he was going to bring his own food for the week. And accustomed to moderation after years of frugal living uh, and with his entire savings to go, going to pay for the cruise ticket, what he did was he bought some peanut butter and some bread and that was all he could afford. And the first few days of the cruise were absolutely thrilling. In the morning, he would eat his peanut butter uh, sandwiches uh, all alone in his cabin, and then he would go out and he would enjoy the, the sunlight, the fresh air. And uh, by mid-afternoon, um, he would notice everybody was eating all the time. And they were eating such good food. And this went on through the week. And finally, on about the fifth day of the cruise, he could stand it no longer. The bread was getting to be a bit stale. Um, even the air and the sunshine, the, the cruise itself was losing some of its, some of its appeal. And so a, he saw a, a porter walking down the hallway with a, a great tray full of food, and he stopped the porter and he exclaimed, Tell me, how can I get some of these meals? I'm dying for some decent food, and I'll do anything I can to earn some money for it. And the porter asked him, Well, sir, don't you have a ticket for the cruise? The man said, Certainly I have a ticket, but I spent everything I had on the ticket. I have nothing with which to buy food. But, sir... The porter said, Didn't you realize? Meals are included with your passage. You may eat as much as you like. Lots of Christians live like that man, not, not realizing the unlimited provisions that are theirs in Christ. They munch on stale scraps. The message of this morning's sermon is that there is no need to live like that. Everything we could ever we could ever want or ever need is included in the cost of admission. Our Savior has already paid the full price already. It's commonly noted in the commentaries that Paul's favorite congregation was this uh, was the Philippian congregation. Out of all the churches that he planted in Asia Minor and in Europe, the Philippians had a special place in his heart. Uh, in his letter, he speaks to them with a tenderness that exceeds all his other letters to the other churches. And so we read in verse eight. For God is my witness how I yearn for you, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And Paul longed to bless this congregation. He loved them so much. But he was stuck in prison. He was there languishing with no way out. He could do nothing for them physically except pray for them. And pray for them he did. 
Look at verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In his prayers, the apostle prayed for this congregation the best things. He prayed for, for them to have those things that were that were not simply good, but what were best. And so what did he pray for? Did he pray for their financial prosperity? Of course not. Did he pray for their health concerns? No. Did he pray for their peace and comfort? No. Did he pray for their happiness? Of course not. Rather, he prayed for their Christian growth. That they would take hold of the abundant, unlimited provisions that were theirs in Jesus Christ. This is the consistent way that Paul prays for the churches. We could look at Colossians chapter 1. We could look at the book of Philemon. We could look at Ephesians. Paul prays the same way uh, for the Christians. That they would grow in Christ. Let me ask you, is this the way you pray? Are these the priorities of your prayers? Why don't we pray more often like that for Christian growth? Not only for our own Christian growth, but for, but for each other in the body of Christ. Is it any wonder that we feel like sometimes we're living... Or, or we feel like living the Christian life is like eating uh, weak old, kind of stale peanut butter sandwiches. Um, the Apostle Paul knew what was best for the Christians. And he prayed for them accordingly. So before we look at what he prayed for, for them, I want to make two statements. The first statement is that the fact that Paul is praying for these things means that God wants us to have them. Paul's not praying these things and then telling the Philippians that he's praying these things for them as if it's a carrot that we can never have that pulls us forward but we're never going to be satisfied by. No. The very fact that He is praying these things for them tells us that God wants us to have them. The abundant Christianity that Paul is praying for them in verses 9 through 11 um, is, is possible for any Christian to possess. The, st- the second statement I want to make is that the abundant Christianity that Paul lays out before us like a banquet meal, cannot be produced by ourselves. God must give it to us. If we could produce it, then the Apostle Paul would have commanded the, the uh, Philippians to produce it in their lives. Rather, he doesn't do that. Instead, he prays to God that God would give it to them that God would produce it in them. 
And the first thing we see here that Paul prays for, verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That's the first thing Paul prays for, is that their love would abound, that their love would be growing, that their love would be abundant. And it's instructive for us that Paul prays for love first. Love is the most essential factor for living the Christian life. Listen to what Paul says about the priority of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, no matter what you know, no matter what you do, no matter how sacrificial you are, even if you give yourselves up to martyrdom, or as he says, give yourselves up to be burned, if you do not have love, you are nothing. He doesn't simply say that your Christianity amounts to nothing. He says you are nothing. That's an amazing thought. The priority of love. And Paul is not exclusively talking about our love for God. In 1 Corinthians, and in our passage here in Philippians 1, um, Paul never defines the object of our love. And so look at verse 9 here in our passage. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Love for what? He doesn't say. It's, he just says it is his prayer that it would abound more and more. People like to dwell on their love for God. It makes them feel good. But God says that real love for Him means that you also love other people. So, for instance, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, uh, the Apostle John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you have passed from death to life? You have love for the brothers, the sisters in the church. Whoever does not love abides in death. Do you love your fellow Christians? I've got to ask that question because the, the Apostle John places it squarely before us. If you do not love your Christians, or your fellow Christians, and refuse to try, then the Bible says, regardless of what you do, regardless of your good intentions, the Bible says that you abide in death. And God does not stop there. Our requirement to love does not stop 
at the church door. The Jews thought that they were only required to love their fellow Jews and that they were allowed to hate the Gentiles. Jesus was telling them that they must love their neighbor. Uh, and the Jews didn't like that. And so they tried to limit the definition of who their neighbor was. And they asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? you remember his response? His response was the parable of the Good Samaritan. In other words, Jesus said, everyone is your neighbor, whether Jewish or Gentile. Truth be told, we sometimes try and put limits on who we are willing to love as well. But Jesus tells us that we cannot put any limits on who we love. In fact, that whole question of who is my neighbor, Jesus blows it completely out of the water in Matthew chapter 5. Because He says, God loves His enemies. And if you are going to be a follower of God, you've got to love your, your enemies as well. So do you have any enemies that you refuse to love? If you do, then you are a stranger to the love of God. I'm going a little long on this point, but I want to make one more point before we move on. And that is, the love that Paul is praying that the Philippians possess in abundance is not a humanly produced love. I've already made this point, but I want to underscore it. The love that we are talking about here is the love that God produces in the heart. Romans 5 verse 5 says that God sheds His love abroad in our hearts. Paul's not saying to the Philippians, I'm praying to you people who have no love for you to have love. Rather, he's saying to them, you have love that God has planted in your heart. And now, it is His prayer that they grow in that love. That they abound in that love. That their love, that their God-given love um, uh, be abundant in their life. This is what makes the church unique. Because no one but Christians can really practice this kind of love. Self-giving love for your enemies? People just don't do that. Unless God is involved in your life. People, even the best of people, secretly look for ways to get revenge. Christians, we cannot do that. We are not called to that. In other words, going back to the beginning of my sermon, the fact that Paul prays for them to have this love means that this kind of love is possible for you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not only possible, God expects it. And He has given you His Holy Spirit, again to, to paraphrase 
uh, Romans chapter 5. He has given His Holy Spirit and in so doing has shed abroad His love into your heart. This kind of love is unique to the church. It is special. Going back to last week's sermon, that's what makes the church special. Is we have this kind of love. Brothers and sisters, don't put that love underneath a bowl. Abound in it. Grow in it. Seek God for more of it. Second point that he prays for is also found in verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. We're going to look at the discernment part next week. Right now we're just going to look at the knowledge part. We've all heard the saying, love is blind. Well, that does not apply to the kind of love that God gives us. God's love is abounding with knowledge and discernment. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the passage I referred to earlier, the love chapter says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love believes the best about people. But that doesn't mean that love is blind. We are not, our biblical love, God given love, does not close its eyes to truth and to knowledge. When someone sins against us, we don't ignore it. Rather, we talk about it. We work through it because we know that we are bound together in God's love. Or as we read in the responsive reading, there is one faith, one Lord, one body, one baptism. We are one in Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers. We are bound together by God Himself. We must always find a way in love to work through the issues that we have with one another. The beauty of being a church body or a church family is that we're a church family. The difficulty of being a church body or a church family is that we are a body. That we live our lives with each other. That we rub up against each other. And that's a blessing. But we're also sinners. And as such, we're, we're stepping in mud puddles from time to time. And our mud splashes on each other. And we have the Spirit of God who has shed His Spirit abroad into our hearts. There's no issue. There's no sin. There's no hurt. There's no wrong that cannot be overcome by God's love. And in relation to God... Our love is not a blind trust. Rather, this love is rooted in what the Scripture teaches us about God. Paul here, as I said earlier, doesn't 
define where this love is directed. It's a multifaceted love. It is a love directed towards God. It is a love directed toward each other. It is a love directed to people outside the church. It is a love directed even toward enemies. But here as he's talking about knowledge, I think there is a, 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 um, a special reference to God. We love God. And as we love Him, then love draws us forward to know Him. And a true love for God is not a mindless, theology-less uh, love. Rather, our hearts yearn within us. We want to know more about God. We want to know more about His commandments. We want to know more about His truth. And as we know more about God and we, we find out more about God and His Word, then what happens? We love Him more. And then what happens when we love Him more? Well, we want to know Him more. And so we seek Him out. And once we seek Him out, we love Him even more. And what happens when we love Him even more? We want to know Him even more. And we could go on and on and on. In other words... The Christian life, you start as a spiritually dead person, completely devoid of the grace of God, and God awakens you from the dead in regeneration. And when He does so, He reveals to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And when you understand the gospel for the first time, your response is to love the Lord Jesus. And as you love Him, you grow in your knowledge of Him. As you grow in your knowledge of Him, you love Him more. See, the Christian life is spirals up and outward. Unfortunately, um, most people believe that the Christian life means that you stop living a fun life. Stop doing anything and your, your, your life basically spirals downward and inward like a toilet flushing. And uh, that is not the picture of the Christian life. Exactly the opposite. Furthermore, along these lines, we've all met people who love studying theology, but who are harsh and unloving. Paul would say, that they are simply a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And probably they would love their pride more than they love God. What I'm saying is love for God never checks the mind at the door. Rather, love for God and knowledge of God and getting to know more about Him, these things go hand in hand. They should never be separated from each other. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, that sums up everything that I've said to this point. That verse reads, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you believe that? That God is able to make all grace abound to you? Or do you believe that as a Christian, you are relegated to 
experiencing what amounts to week-old, stale peanut butter. Charles Spurgeon, and this will be uh, with which I, what I conclude with. Charles Spurgeon was—he um, suffered from gout. He was a preacher back in the 19th century. Um, he preached uh, many times each Sunday. And um, he was also given to, because of the pain in his feet, uh, he was given to depression from time to time. And he was riding home uh, one evening after a heavy uh, day of preaching, and he felt a bit depressed. And he said that this verse came to to his mind, My grace is sufficient for you. And in his mind, he immediately compared himself to a little fish in the Thames River. And uh, he thought of himself as a little fish, apprehensive, lest drinking so many pints of water that he would drink the river dry. And he remembered that verse coming to him, saying, My grace is sufficient for you. Next, he thought of a little mouse in the granaries of Egypt, eating grain day in and day out, and worrying that he might eat all the grain and would have none left later. And he pictured in his mind Joseph coming up to him and saying, My granaries are sufficient for you. And then he thought of a man climbing some high cliff or some high mountain, and as he reached the lofty summit, he, he drew in a deep breath of the cool, um, fresh mountain air. And he thought, what if I were to, to uh, inhale all the oxygen in the entire atmosphere? And he said he heard in his mind a loud voice boom out. Breathe away, O man, and fill your lungs. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. In other words, Christian, God's grace is sufficient for you. You can grow in your love. You can be abundant in your love. You can grow in your knowledge and love for God. There is nothing in God that is holding you back. God's grace is sufficient. Trust Him wholly. Uh, Seek Him wholeheartedly. Difficulties come. Hardships come. Periods of dryness come in your life. Remember, God's grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I continue to pray for us as a congregation. First of all, that we would put first things first. That we would seek after you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and because we are so constrained by the love of God that You have given us, that we would be continual in our prayer for each other here in the body of Christ, that we would grow in grace, and that we would spur one another on to love and to good deeds.
And Father, I pray that if there are any here who are strangers to this love, because they are strangers to Your grace, I pray that You would convince them as You have convinced us of Your great, abundant, all-sufficient grace and draw them to Yourself through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray in His name. Amen.